Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking. And what we're going to get cracking with today is part two of the quotes episode uh, featuring myself, obviously, and Dave Smethurst. Part one just came out a couple of days ago. And the concept of this is that we listen to quotes from very interesting people from within the UFO topic and kind of talk about what they may have meant, what might be behind what they're saying, how much of it is fact, how much of it is speculation and all that kind of thing so if you didn't listen to part one it is definitely recommended to go back and check that out because we're just going to pick right up from where we left off on the bit of a cliffhanger with a very passionate quote from Jim Semivan regarding uh, the New York Times article and an entity being out there living with us on this planet okay let's get back into that and we'll pick up where we left off and I got a hold of Leslie and I said it's, it's not about $22 million and the Pentagon has a UFO program. It's about there's an entity out there. There's some kind of non-human intelligence that's living with us on this planet. I'm sorry. I'm getting all wound up. In that story, and she said they wouldn't let me run it like that. Hmm. And, and, and it's still very, very difficult. So I give the New York Times a, a lot of credit uh, for running this story. But for, but for missing the big point, we're not alone. And we never have been alone. And- yeah, bit of a heavy one there, Dave. What are your thoughts on that? Seamless link before, Frank. I was cheering you on there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Very professional. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I think the main thing to say is that uh, he makes a point a lot of us thought that the focus is all wrong, and it just shows how timid the media is. This isn't the main point, but it did strike me. They're saying there's aliens out there, and they go, oh, yeah, there's a bit of a bud program going on, and there's a bit of – they're talking about some minor problem when it's an entity. You can see he's quite frustrated about that. But I think we start to see Jim take a bit of a walk on the wild side here, and it's quite interesting where he goes because he talks about an entity and he makes three points. He says, we, uh, an entity is a little bit different to what you might say, a classic alien or whatever. It's an entity that has a bit more of a deeper property to it. So he says, we're not alone. We've never been alone. And they live on this planet. I mean, that's quite a big departure, I would say, from the classic sort of 50s extraterrestrial hypothesis, visiting aliens, they're flying along, they go down, they fly off. It's not quite that easy. He says they've he's been here a long time on the planet, and he says entity singular in 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 that the end of that. And so I think he's uh, he's starting to draw a slightly different picture of the phenomenon than uh, than Chris Mellon is, because Chris is very much a proponent of the extraterrestrial hypothesis because he thinks it's the simplest thing, and there's a lot of like, you know logic to that. And Gary Nolan. When he did his interview, which we're not going to get into today, I know, but he was sort of in between the two. He talked about these properties, but he also talked about the the consensus and it being extraterrestrial. So Jim is very much, as I say, taking a walk on the wild side, which may lead us nicely. Well, see what you think about that first, but then we'll listen to what he says next because it's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was a relatively short clip uh, compared to some of the other bits, but I found there's quite a lot. To, to unpack in that little space of time 
like you say, um, first of all, it, it is it is quite interesting that the New York Times wouldn't run a story about the existence of something non-human and that they wanted to frame it with this government kind of like political angle that there was this you know secret program and and so on. That that sort of says to me how much of a stigma there is, you know, even today that that this you know quite obviously pentagon ufo program was there the people who were involved in it are coming forward and going public with it and even even then the new york times wouldn't run a story about it being about you know non-human entities or whatever it might be the fact that the fact that we're not alone as, as jim semivan says and that the new york times were only willing to report on the atip you know secret government program angle um, which, you know, all credit to him for doing that in the first place. And obviously, Leslie Keane, Ralph Blumenthal for, for putting their, their article forward. And, and then that did lay the groundwork for some of the other, you know, articles about experiences and things which came out, you know, afterwards. I don't think it was actually in the New York Times in the end. That was it, the Ralph Blumenthal one. Didn't he do it on the debrief? But, you know, it sort of opened the door for those kind of conversations. But I did find it interesting that even when the ATIP program was was being reported on. They, they were kind of uh, shying away from the we are not alone angle. Um, but another thing I found uh, quite interesting was what you were talking about uh, a minute ago. The wording, the choice of wording from Jim Semivan about there's an entity singular out there, like you said, some kind of non-human intelligence that that's living with us on this <coughs> effing planet. Um and yeah, entity, non-human intelligence, you know, particular choice of, you know, language there. We're not, we're not talking about like a, um, you know, a, 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 an advanced civilization or, you know, beings. It's, it's a particular choice of words. It kind of reminds me of um, what uh, Dr. Gary Nolan said recently. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned that, Dave, because I had that here in my notes as well. And uh, Gary Nolan was talking in a couple of interviews, particularly the the you know the the Tucker Carlson one. He said, "I was trying to find this quote earlier, but I couldn't find it in the end." But he said something like, um, "He was leaving the door open to it being some kind of intelligent entity, something which may be like more complicated than a, a race of beings, for example." And it got me thinking. Since you know Jim Semivan is kind of going down, you know, a little bit of a a, a more kind of out there path, if you like, like you alluded to there. He's kind of more willing to embrace those ideas, isn't he, than Chris Mellon. So since Jim Semivan's going in that direction, allow me to also walk down that path for a second. You know, if, if for example, some kind of intelligent civilization had, had evolved a billion years ago, you know, it may have become something that we simply wouldn't even recognize as a civilization, a civilization according to our standards of it. You know, perhaps like a... I don't know, like a hive mind type scenario where a global consciousness kind of emerges and perhaps no longer has a need for a, a physical body or a container using some kind of non-physical technology, you know, perhaps aspects of physics that we can't even begin to imagine yet, you know. Perhaps a, a civilization could have created some kind of artificial intelligence which wiped out the biological parent species and then roams the universe doing whatever it wants you know maybe some other scenario even further out of you know into the realms of what we seem it seems completely bizarre to us at this stage in our development 
I think that's kind of Gary Nolan was was leaving the door open to those kinds of things, you know, in what he was suggesting recently, and um, because a lot of this is hypothesis at the end of the day, and you know, and as a evolutionary biologist, uh, Gary Nolan suggested that he finds it very unusual that entities have a humanoid form, and that uh, a, a commonly discussed hypothesis in the intelligence community is that humanoid non-humans are like some kind of intermediary, like a form created specifically for the purpose of interacting with humans. So it looks a little bit like us, but is also clearly not like us as a halfway house kind of thing. All of this is pretty out there, you know, but at the end of the day, we're dealing with something which defies logic, can do things that we can't understand, and that there seems to be some elements of manipulation of perhaps even reality itself and manipulation of our our consciousness, you know. And um, one of the other elements that is, is often noted in people's experiences is is this, you know, weird, absurd trickster element, you know, a sense of, you know, a sense of humor almost, like a dark, quite twisted sense of humor and, and absurdity, which again, leads me quite nicely onto this next quote which is about how difficult that some of this stuff actually is to explain and how disturbing some of these characteristics of the phenomenon can actually be uh, what am i going to tell her or him you know these little kids you know 10 11 years old yeah that uh there's a force that exists out there that can control our environment that can put thoughts in your head um that can lie to you trick you deceive you um um, and that you're not in control of your life. <laughs> I say that to a 12 year old. I mean, yeah. So, what, what do you reckon about that, Dave? Well, tell us what you really think, Jim. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you know, I mean, you talk about the walk on the wild side. He goes off the wild side, jumps over the fence at the edge of the wild side, and carries on running. Doesn't he? There, he's quite. Uh, he really does give it some stick there. And if you think about the mild mannered Jim of a couple of years ago, like you say, oh, well, we don't know, we can't say, it just might be a bit of a dustbin lid floating in the wind, we don't know. You know, uh, to this, that's quite a big change, and that is really good what you're talking about, the nature of the entity, because uh, he talks about what he thinks it is, and he says he says these things, which is pretty mad, he says, control, you can control our environment, put thoughts in your head, lie to you, trick you, deceive you, and you're not in control of your life. God, whatever that means, does that mean generally or specifically you? And they've got control of you. So it's pretty negative about it there. It's got echoes of both like the tricks that you say in the paranormal, with sort of Jacques Vallée and more mythological esoteric writings. Uh, and then you've also got this slide nine thing, which people may remember that was a slide from Chris Mellon's slide deck at TTSA, which showed about a technical ability to manipulate reality, time, thoughts, go through surfaces, that sort of thing. So it's got this tech aspect to it as well. So now you've got to remember Jim's an experiencer, so that's probably colours his view. He said he said he's had things at the end of his bed, you know, different entities voting him. But I think it's a bit more than that. I think he's also hinting at a techno technology as well uh, that may be part of what's going on here. So, uh, again, he's very frank and he sort of, uh, he sees it as a very complex phenomenon. It's not just a straight ET one for him anyway. Uh, the UAPs are just part of it, part of the more general sort of phenomenon and how it's sort of showing itself, exhibiting itself. And as you say, we've got Echoes and Nolan. And it's interesting you mentioned Nolan because 
Nolan did say his colleagues had a consensus it was extraterrestrial, but he also was very careful not to say it had a civilization. And he'd obviously fought, like you said, because in a way, a civilization is just a logistical device for us to sort of live collectively, isn't it? It's not, a, if you're very advanced, you maybe wouldn't need a civilization with laws and infrastructure and this, that, and everything. You may sort of transcend that in some ways. So I thought that was, uh, that was very significant. But it's a little story told, and he don't mention it here, but on the, on the James Iron Dolly thing, engaging the phenomenal one, he said he spoke to Colm Kelleher about the entity he saw. Colm Kelleher, Skimwalker, Orsap, Nids, you know, all those different things involved in all that stuff. And it was about the entity he saw at the end of his bed, as it turned out. And he got a description from something. Like anyway, he got the description. Cole Keller knew about the entity, knew what it looked like, locked it up, said it was really rare to him. And uh, so the point is, a lot of these guys, somebody of Cole Keller's caliber, they know, they love looking into this stuff and they're taking it seriously. So it's quite interesting that they're all going down this route. And maybe we'll come to that in the next bit. But so I know that I say they're going on the wild side, but clearly there's something about the nature of this phenomenon that they think there's more to it. And the answer is how much is speculation and they've gone off the railroad rails, as it were, and how much is something that they know about from information they've been given. And again, how much is a sort of innate power and how much is a technologically generated phenomenon. And if we know that, we might know where this being, whatever it is, lies on that scale. So I thought that was really, really quite revealing it just what he said about that because the background was somebody said oh can you tell me daughter about this and he must have kicked off at the woman said i'm not saying that you know i'll give her nightmares basically and uh but it revealed so much about what he actually thinks yeah absolutely and i think it is definitely fair to say that since james emivan has been a bit more forthcoming with his own personal experiences it's quite clear that his experiences have been particularly negative and terrifying so that has definitely colored how he interprets this whole thing i suppose you could say um but going back to you know specifically what he he, he mentions there about how would you explain it to you know a, a young child basically i think i think it's interesting that because it's kind of in a way touching on something that you said earlier on which is he's kind of simplifying the concept of, of of why this has to be kept secret as well, or one of the reasons, because you know there's multiple reasons, I suppose. The fact that it's extremely hard for the military or you know whatever intelligence agency to admit that there's an extremely powerful entity or force or civilization, whatever you want to call it, that's out there that we are powerless to defend against. You know, it's a somber thought to think of how you would explain that to it to anybody actually but a child in particular you know how would you explain that that's the case and it's kind of a you know a, a wider way of looking at it is how would you explain that to a to an entire human race like how would you break that that level of terrifying knowledge to a, a you know a population at, at large and again it sort of points to the complexities involved with this topic that the phenomenon has got so many difficult to explain aspects and you know at least some elements of it are really quite disturbing you know of, of course we could be looking at multiple things going on at the same time you know some aspects of what's being experienced could be attempts to engage with humans positively and some not so positively you know perhaps 
even our concept of what is a positive and negative interaction might be difficult for a non-human entity to even grasp you know maybe they don't even realize that you know if there is some kind of others trying to interact with us maybe they're just trying everything because they don't really understand what we think of as positive and negative you know so many questions around all of that but you know since we're on the the kind of the the wild side as as you say um we'll move on to the next quote which i think is safe to say definitely incorporates some pretty bizarre and difficult to explain aspects of the phenomenon and that is the case of uh, chris bledsoe so chris himself has had a pretty profound experience where he encountered to sort of you know really paraphrase because it's quite a you know an involved uh, case but to really sort of summarize it quickly he encountered something which appeared to be like a bull type of creature which ran towards him and turned into an entity known as the lady and this entity has been reported over the years and is spoken about as you know various different ways but in some cases spoken about as a representation of of what's known as the divine feminine some have speculated that there could be some links to religious figures such as the Virgin Mary, etc. And uh, Chris Bledsoe claims to have been healed of a debilitated disease and had his life changed by his early encounters. And quite a different um, you know, type of experience to what Jim Semivan uh, has had there, quite clearly. And, but one thing that whatever you think of Chris Bledsoe and his experiences and whatever you make of that, one thing that is particularly intriguing aspect of this case is the sheer amount of interest from within the CIA, NASA, and even the Vatican. Um, you know, and Jim Semivan sort of talks about that in in this clip. So let's play that one. Not only do I believe every word he tells me, he attracted the attention of <laughs> a lot of people: DIA, NASA, CIA. Um other agencies everybody wanted to get close to him everybody wanted to know as much as information as they possibly can because his experience in it, it, it took in not only the classic abduction scenario um because he had missing time right where he had right. no idea what was going on right uh but he also met um he met the entities themselves and he also met the lady yeah. Not many people meet the lady. And um, I think, and the lady is, uh, is an element in all of this that really hasn't been explored um, very much. Um, I, I, I'll, I will tell you that in, in some circles, it's taken very, very seriously. Um, but um it hasn't been explored. Um, the Catholic church looked at it, you know, because a lot of the sightings, you know, Medjugorje, um, um, you know, Fatima, yeah. uh, Lords, uh, you know, they were all the lady appeared. Um, yeah. Some pretty heavy stuff going on in there. What do you, what are your thoughts on all of that then, Dave? God, I was lost in thought listening to that. Then it's so, I, I was for yeah. a second. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird, isn't it? I mean, the, the thing, uh, I mean, I think what we there's a lot of things about the Bledsoe Ranch that I think I'm not sure about that. There's a lot of stuff around it and people around it and interesting characters. But I think the point to focus on here is the reaction, like you said, the intelligence community and important people to it. I think that's the thing 
to focus on here, what Jim's reaction is. Now, first to point out, Jim Semivan is actually writing the forward to Chris Bledsoe's book that's coming out in December. That's a big sort of investment in that story and stand behind it. And he actually says he believes every word Chris says. So that's pretty powerful, that. And uh, coming back to what you were saying, he, he says he, he attracted the attention of NASA, DIA, CIA, and loads of other people who wanted to get close to him. I mean, why would they be interested in that? I mean, you know, and it's this lady thing is taken very seriously. I mean, I've been reading a lot of that. I've, I've been reading, what's his name, John Keel. I've been listening to that. I've got an audio book, very good. Trojan Horse, and there's the other one. I can't remember the name of it. But he talks a lot about, about these entities and that they appear. And he seems to imply that it's like a device or, or an appearance, maybe even a screen memory or whatever, of a body that's sort of to enable the entity to communicate. And it's got particular significance throughout history. But whatever it is, these intelligence people clearly knew all about the lady and these other things and found it really, really sufficient enough to roll, roll up there along with the Vatican and start talking to him and ask him what it said. Why did they want to know what it said? Why were they interested in that? Why, what's important? Was it they had religious beliefs? Was it esoteric beliefs? Did they have common knowledge of the entity, some other things they'd experienced with the phenomenon? You know, why did they want to know what it said? And uh, is it sort of reliable? I mean, we've got all the, and you've got to ask about where are some of these people coming from in the intelligence group. You've got NASA. There's been a lot of talk of a lot of Masonic stuff and weird stuff with NASA. We'd have Jack, forget what his name was. It Jack Bruce, somebody, Jack, got a weird name. But anyway, he was uh, the 50s. Uh, he was designing rockets. He blew himself up, but he had links to Alistair Crowley, believe it or not. And, uh, now, whether there was any, I'm not saying there's any truth in that, but i.e., the supernatural, but the point was he was into it, is the point. And you've got a lot of people, you've got this Collins Elite group who apparently thought it was all demonic entities. Now, that doesn't mean to say that's true. All it means is that they've got this religious belief and they're interpreting it. Uh, you've got the idea of uh, eschatology, where they think it's the end times and these creatures will appear. And then you might have these portents of doom as well, which might be. So whatever it is, these guys clearly see some sort of resemblance and it could be manipulating them into thinking it's this religious figure that suits their beliefs, but it's something else entirely. But the point is they were really, uh, really interested in it, you know. Now, he said Semivan, he saw both the bull and the entity. Semivan said he saw that. Now, I've listened to that about four times, that bit, and I think he's saying that. I mean, it's not entirely clear because of his intonation, but in his words, he's definitely saying he saw them both at the ranch. However, he meant he was at the ranch and he saw the ranch and then that happened there. Maybe, but he doesn't seem to be saying that. And he's obviously a frequent visitor. Now, one thing about uh, Semivan, he was a student of literature and uh, particularly 19th century esoteric, esoteric literature, 19th century, Frankenstein, weird entities, paranormal, all that sort of, all those sort of ideas but were also prevalent in some of the Theosophy Society and all the rest of it in Germany and in Europe and all over the place. So he's quite predisposed to all this, I think, and uh, to some of these symbols, and maybe they attach a lot of importance to him. And I think there is this bit of this end-time sort of vibe. But to me, it feels quite slide nine as well. Uh, you've got this tricks and stuff, but you've got this belief about you know, being able to convince people and all the rest of it. So I think, I think 
the question, sorry, I've gone off on a bit of one there. What I'm trying to get at is, why do these intelligence people believe, think that's important? And what does it say about their beliefs? What does it say about how they're being manipulated? And what does it say about the nature of the phenomenon itself? Because they're all serious people. But these are all people who we see on the telly, and they're all very sensible, and, and yet they're all crowding around Cliff Bedsall as if he's the second Messiah, you know? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think, first of all, what I'd say about about that clip and, and the, the Bledsoe uh, case in, in general is that there has been a bit of a mixed bag of, like, videos of, you know, mm. supposed orbs and a few, you know, blatant misidentifications posted by Chris Bledsoe on social media over recent years. And that has kind of muddied the waters somewhat because even though some of those do actually appear to be quite compelling, others are, you know, clearly known objects such as, you know, satellites. And in one case, actually, you know, one of the videos was widely debunked as a, as a SpaceX launch, uh, which, you know, all credit to Chris, you know, he, he posted that himself as well afterwards once he realized that that was the case. Um, but it, it does still muddy the waters a little bit, that kind of thing. And um, Chris Bledsoe's son, Ryan Bledsoe, also talks a lot about some topics which, um, you know, frankly, I, I don't consider to have much validity, if I'm honest. And, and it can sometimes seem to me like a bit of an attempt to string together every <laughs> esoteric topic into one thread, you know, which I'm always a bit wary of, uh, to be quite honest. The thing is, though, Having said all of that, it is quite clear to me that something was experienced by Chris Bledsoe as part of those initial experiences. And, you know, it, it changed his life and attracted the attention of some extremely significant individuals. And some of these individuals clearly saw something in his experiences which they found particularly compelling. Uh, and as Semivan says there, the lady seems to be an area that requires further investigation. And it would seem that all of the people who are interested uh, in Chris Bledsoe's case were particularly interested in that aspect of his experiences. Because I think Jim says there in that clip, not many people see the lady. Um, and it's interesting as well, actually, out, out of all the other clips that we've played from Jim Semivan, he's really hesitant in this clip. I noticed it actually. Mm -hmm. I didn't really notice it when I was making the clips for this episode, but when I was listening to it just then, he really does a lot more pausing and carefully considers what he's about to say as though it's a particularly sensitive topic, um, which is interesting in, in itself and you know could suggest that there's particular weight attached to, to these you know aspects of, of the phenomenon. It could, could it be that the feminine iconography found throughout religions is is linked to these sightings of the lady you know that would explain the vatican's interest for example the fact that the catholic church have got an interest in in that and um you know during the the miracle of fatima which again semivan mentions in that clip there which is a, a mass sighting in the early 1900s i think it's 1917 if memory serves right um you know many people who were there actually did report a feminine entity which they described as the the virgin mary and things like that and it is pretty fascinating to think about you know what that could actually mean and it does appear that the people that are actually linked in to these you know perhaps even the legacy programs you know in some cases and and the government efforts to look into ufo's and the wider associated phenomena 
were quite taken with this case, you know, apparently largely because of, you know, the lady, which is, uh, it's just fascinating to think about, isn't it? But I'm not really sure what to make of the whole thing at this point. What do you reckon? Yeah. Any further thoughts well, to add? I mean, you don't know. I mean, there's one thing I read in the brilliant Grant Cameron book, uh, Do You Believe in Magic? 19, I think it's 2017 that was written. And he talks about, uh, he talked about since the war about all the different, you know, disinformation, all the different attempts at disclosure, and talks about the politics, I suppose, behind it. And in the CIA, he said there are a lot of people who believed in this eschatology, very religious end time stuff, who were quite predisposed for it. And the CIA people who were trying to downplay the UIP bit of it, I, I would like to push it in that weird direction. So on some levels, the Bledsoe stuff uh, could, by accident or by very skillful manipulation, be something like that, where you sort of have, you know, getting attention away from the nuts and bolts stuff and whatever. But equally, Frank, and I won't go on about this too long, it does fit that ex- the crypto-terrestrial profile I've mentioned, whereby you've got people who can manipulate people's minds, give people vision, give them a false narrative that serves their narrative, give them prophetic visions that are potentially... So- and it's got all the hallmarks of that without going into that. So it could be some other manipulation. Or it could generally be the entity that's tricks to things trying to get people to do what they say. There's a big prophetic element of it, making prophecy and what's going to happen there. And so, yeah, it's uh, the question is, the central question is why did he take it all seriously? And I would say it's because it shares some iconography they're all aware of, either from the religious background or from something they've witnessed. And how true that is and how good a steer that is for them to take only time will tell, and hopefully it'll tell on a, it was a bad idea because some of the stuff it says is a bit scary. I do agree with you, though, on the, uh, I don't want to go on about it too, because we, because I was trying to avoid the Bledsoe stuff a bit because there's a lot of stuff I think that has been a bit dubious, even in a, inadvertently, really, and maybe hasn't turned out to be good. And I don't think Ryan Bledsoe's done himself any favours going on as he does. But whether it's right or not, and I do think Chris must have had some of their experiences just from the accounts, but whether more general stuff's right or not, the effect it's had on all these people who are supposed to be upstanding pillars of the military and intelligence community is pretty weird. And why did Colm Keller know about the entity that Jim Semivan had seen? That's, you know, they must all be looking at all this. And I think it stems back to Skinwalker and other stuff they're looking at. Uh, and again, as you rightly said, Frank, I think it's maybe why, because they can't talk about it. Because when we talk about Pandora's box, that's a bloody big box, that, isn't it, if there's all that sort of stuff going on. And uh, so, yeah, really, yeah, that really throws the spin in. But it don't, don't feel quite right to me that I don't quite, can't quite put my finger on it, whether it's, uh, is there what manipulation is going on. But it feels like some is, even if it's not, not by Chris or anything, but by, whatever's going on there yeah there's there's so many angles to it all and i think one of the the uh, the the most intriguing aspects of it is this thing about the lady and is it the lady that has caused all of these other agencies like nasa the vatican intelligence community whatever to have that particular interest um as you said there and i think the thing about the lady as well that's interesting is the way that links into you know some of that religious history stuff is it's kind of a bit of a chicken of the egg scenario you know what came first the 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 historical religious aspects or were those historical religious aspects actually informed by people having seen the lady you know perhaps thousands of years ago and that's that's been something that's been common throughout human history 
you know, or is it more of a case of whatever's being witnessed, you know, by people when they encounter the phenomenon, the phenomenon is, is using existing things that exist within human culture, like the concepts of the Virgin Mary and the, the divine feminine. And the, the, the phenomenon may actually be presenting itself that way in order to have more weight to whatever the message is it's trying to put across to people. It's such a, a complex thing to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, and as Valet would say, we've had that relationship going through the ages and it's just different names for the same thing. I mean, that, that's probably a little simplistic, but that's the sort of question you were posing, I suppose, really. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very interesting, but the big difference now, I would say, Frank, and maybe if there is a cyclical thing with civilization, normally it can just turn up when we're fairly primitive, pat us on the head, appear like a god, and we all go on our way. But now we've got nuclear weapons, environmental stuff, nuclear power plants, all the rest of it. And let's say they're still on this earth in some way, shape or form, and they have some sort of materiality to them. They maybe need to make a bigger type of intervention to stop us destroying, the, not destroying the planet, but ruining it, if you see what I mean, for them or whatever. And so the, the, there's a step change in their intervention. And maybe that's what we're seeing now in terms of the exponential rising sightings and all the rest of it, no longer can you just turn up and rely on people bowing down and doing what you say. So that might be part of it as well. It's change, it's stepping up, it's the nature of its appearance to influences in a different way. But again, it's so much speculation, it's very hard, isn't it, to know? Yeah, it's it's fascinating though, the whole thing about the lady. I mean, I was I was brought up brought up as a as Catholic and obviously there's there's things about, you know, the lady of you know, similar sort of uh, things th- throughout all of that kind of thing and it really is fascinating that um these kind of you know intelligence people have, have been so interested to to really take that particular aspect seriously makes you wonder what involvement those legacy programs have actually had in looking into that side of things as well you know mm-hmm. because again we don't really know what the full extent of it is that's been looked into maybe that plays a bigger part than what we think i mean semivan certainly seems to be suggesting that that the, there's further investigation into the lady needed there's a film called uh what ufo's past present and future done by i think it's bob i i i you know something like that. i've said his name wrong as i usually do in these things <laughs> but anyway 73 it was done it's quite famous and it's got a heineck in it and it interviews a lot of cia guys but the point is there's a story where this sort of channeler comes in and they talk to this entity who comes to talk to all these CIA, and it's all recounted. There was a guy from there recounting it, and a, and a UFO turns up. So there's quite a lot of evidence of uh, that sort of interaction and that prop, the mind control program they did, whose name escapes me, which I would, should know off the top of my head. There's, all, there's, all, there's a lot of stuff like that linked to these things that are, that are going on. So I think there is, if you look into it, there's a bit of a background to this, and it's so hard to know what is sort of cobblers and made up and embellished and what is actually accurate and how much was just their belief again and they were being hoodwinked. I mean, Eisenhower, Eisenhower, I think his name is, he was the one where they reckoned that film, he had filmed that landing at Nelly set at the Air Force Base and it, it, it got cut out of that that very film, UFOs Past, Present and Future. And there's a little bit where the UFO appears over the horizon for two seconds and that allegedly is a proper UFO, but there's a little bit of, UFO trivia for you there, but uh, yeah, it, but that film is really important. It talks a lot about that, so it's so quite an interesting link there. 
Yeah, definitely. And and again, it opens up that kind of wider thing, doesn't it? Like particularly the Fatima thing as well with the lady and all the rest of it. Like some people saw like kind of saucer shaped things. Some people saw lights in the sky. Some people saw an actual female entity. Some people saw nothing at all. And it kind of does link into that thing of like how much is whatever is being witnessed playing with consciousness and reality and appearing differently to different people. And, you know, that that is... Um, you know, absolutely fascinating to to think about. And um, you have to wonder if you were stood next to Chris Bledsoe when he experienced that, would you have even experienced it with him? Would you have seen something completely different? You know, who knows? But the, like I say, the legacy program's interest in that or potential interest in that. And certainly from what Sam Ivan's saying, the intelligence community and and the the Vatican and, and all the rest of it is, is really fascinating. and makes you wonder what do these these secret programs know you know about about that and just in general you know how much of the how much of the answers did they actually have are they any more clued up than the rest of us or are they trying to figure out this unbelievably complicated mystery just like the just like we are and again seems to have done the segues pretty smooth for this episode because that links very nicely into the last clip with jim semivan talking about you know, how much does the intelligence community in the Navy actually have in terms of answers? When you got the Navy, and again, the Navy is a very, very small part of this. The Navy is just this one little small program that that they they started because they were seeing all this stuff, right, on the East Coast and the West Coast and with the carrier groups. And that's how this all started. But that's, that wasn't the real programming. Mean, that's part of it, you know. Um, but... When the Congress saw the classified briefings, saw what I saw, they, they they were dumbfounded. They wanted to know. They were angry, and they still are angry. Why weren't we told? Why didn't we know about this? Now, John can attest to this. This goes back a ways. This 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 whole idea of of keeping this hidden, because I. I personally believe there were, and I still believe to this day, from what, everything I know, there are no answers in the sense that the government, the IC in particular, and and the, and the military have no answers. They really, truly have no answers. They may have uh, material, they may have other things, but that doesn't mean they know what it is that they're holding. Yeah. It's a bit of a bombshell one to end on that, isn't it? So what, what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, we go back to the long-term secret program link. I think we've done that, so we won't go on about that again. But because uh, he, he does say it's not the name program. The Navy one was all just, a, you know, the blue one was just a small thing and it wasn't the big program, which sort of confirms a lot of what we've talked about in the past, I suppose. But uh, basically, so the big thing is Congress was dumbfounded and what they saw, that they, they, they were, they were annoyed and dumbfounded and the pictures and all the rest of it. So we, that also confirms, Frank, what we've heard, again, you know, anecdotally from what happened when Congress saw those pictures. So that's not to be sniffed at as well, even though you sort of miss it in all the big stuff. He also says, uh, that, uh, John, he said, oh, John, you can attest to this, John Ramirez, who's been very careful to say what he does and doesn't know. You know, he talks about his own speculation. But in terms of the CIA, you know this goes back a ways, which implies John nil, and the implication is it's common knowledge among senior people in the CIA. That was the implication. I thought that was quite an interesting comment. But I suppose 
really, when I was on my notes on this, I basically, this clip, nobody knows is the thing I said, because that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying they're keeping it hidden because they are, the intelligence community and military have no idea what it is. They've got material, but they don't know what it is, what they're holding. They don't know what some of the stuff is. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm hopefully we can trust Jim here because he, he might well say that they don't know what it is and they can't do anything with it to, to confuse the enemy. But assuming that's he's telling the truth, and that's a big if on that particular point, uh, I think he's basically saying they, they haven't really got any answers to the public and that's a big sort of uh, reason for the secrecy. And uh, we sort of come to a quote from Full Circle from Chris. It's about uh, the programs have been going on for a long time. They're hidden deep. They have materials and they don't know what it is. That's the link to what sort of Chris was. Well, Chris wasn't saying the last one, but the three things, you know. And we can see it coming full circle. But so Jim's saying there is its secrets because they, they don't know how to deal with it. And I wonder how true that is. Yeah, it's interesting because that's kind of one that we ended up touching on earlier on, wasn't it? Like, how would you explain something that you don't understand, even you know, at all? And that does seem to be the point there that that Jim Semifan is making. Um, interestingly, as well, you know, we sort of speculated a little bit about how much um, Jim Semivan has actually seen on the inside in terms of factual information that that informs his his viewpoint on it. Um, what he actually says in that particular clip there as well is when Congress has seen the classified briefings, when they've seen what I've seen, I'd never really noticed yeah. that before, but he yeah, does I... say that. So that actually means that he has seen some classified stuff to do with UFOs and, and at least partly of what he's saying um, is informed by you know classified data that he's actually seen as well, not just speculation. Um, or at least that's what he's claiming in the clip there. I'm just going to play it again because I think it's worth just, just going to that point. When he got the Navy... And again, the Navy is a very, very small part of this. The Navy is just this one little small program that that they they started because they were seeing all this stuff, right, on the East Coast and the West Coast and with the carrier groups. And that's how this all started. But that's, that wasn't the real programming. That part of it, you know. Um, but when the Congress saw the classified briefings, saw what I saw, the, the so there you go. That that's an interesting little bit, isn't it? And and he also very strongly asserts there as well that um, there's a much wider effort than what I think he's referring to is ATIP, and the fact that there's a much broader effort, a much wider effort outside of ATIP, which is again everything that we've been talking about. It matches up exactly with what what Chris Mellon is saying. You know, could well be the case, and it is what Congress are currently um, looking into. Have yeah. you got any further thoughts on I, well, that? Well, I reckon if you're a decent copper and uh, whether you'd be able to make him crack on the questioning, maybe not because he is a CIA asset, I suppose. Because if, if he, I, I picked up on that, and if you listen to his story, when he came out of CTSA, he didn't know much. Oh, no, it's the CIA wouldn't do any of that sort of thing. But over the three shows recently and all the rest of it, he talks sometimes as if he knew way back from when Lou came into scene, when Lou was in his office in the early teens 2000 you know 2012 13 point whenever he when he had his experience he went to see Lou so he knew from them which is quite a long time but he also talks he's been at other meetings which obviously took place earlier where he also knew different things and I think he sort of forgets that as he's been more open the, the sort of timelines falling apart a bit of what he has and hasn't said I might be wrong but I've certainly heard that so I think uh I think he, he does know quite a lot. And I think the CIA probably do know a lot. And maybe it's a, it might be a standard thing, but they all say, oh, no, nothing to do with it. 
in a little broom cupboard somewhere. We just trip over it occasionally. But actually, they, they know it's quite a big effort. Uh, I mean, there's that famous line. It was uh, just before this guy, I forget who it was, was going to, into prison. Leary, I think his name was, might not have been. He was a CIA operative, and he's talking to his lawyer. And he said, uh, the reason the Watergate tapes, it was going for, down for Watergate. The reason the Watergate tapes are secret, because it reveals the alien presence on Earth. And he was saying that was what they were really worried about. Now, I know that's all just hearsay and whatever. But the point was, he said that I was listening to it. It blew my head off to listen to that because uh, what a secret that would be. And the, but that would imply everybody knew about it. And that was the, because Nixon was, as you know, big into UFOs and one of the trusted people read into it, according to the history book. So uh, the reason that coming to my mind then, Frank, was just the fact that it might be pretty well known in some of these agencies. But it's just they don't want to talk about it. Now, that's wild speculation, but... I mean, I, the, the main thing is, I think Jim, our Jim, probably knows more than uh, he was letting on, and he's we're seeing that now, and uh, he seems to have gone hell for going for it now, and good. Yeah, fair play, fair play to him. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, you know, nothing wrong with a bit of a bit of speculation as long as it's, uh, you know, as long as it's kind of separated from the fact stuff that we know factually, isn't it? You know, and again, I think that's why, uh, you know, Dr. Gary Nolan, he, he he's more than willing to speculate, and then that's kind of what it should be, in my opinion. You know, a bit of speculation, and then we we drill into that and try and find factual information to back up whether there's any truth to what's being speculated about, you know. And I'm sure that these programs and whatnot have a similar approach because you have to, you know, Lukatsky used to say that um, RSAP would uh, follow the data wherever it led, you know, even if it leads into some really, really strange areas. And it's inevitably going to go into some strange areas in this topic, isn't it? It's not going to be middle of the road, you know, stuff. And when it when it comes to the actual question of what is known in terms of answers um, by these, you know, deeply buried programs and things like that, uh, obviously Semivan there is strongly suggesting that he, he doesn't think, or at least he hasn't seen any any firm answers on on this this mystery. Maybe they maybe they are in as in the dark as as the rest of us. You know, is, is it actually preferable to think that they have some elements of non-human tech, perhaps even bodies, and they've got no idea what to do with it and they've not even been able to scratch the surface of figuring it out? Or is it preferable to think that they're close to figuring it out? Both are pretty equally scary thoughts in a way. You know, I, I sort of, um, I always go back to thinking about the uh, the likelihood of, of non-human intelligences being at a similar level of development to us you know, which is, of course, given the vastness of the universe and the sheer timescales involved, it's actually not very likely. You know, if we dropped an iPhone off in the 1500s, as as the old analogy goes, you know, they would have absolutely no idea what to do with it, you know, let alone try and recreate it from scratch and build their own iPhone. They would have absolutely no chance in trying to do that. And it, and it could be the same here. We could be looking at something that we need another 10,000 years of development to even begin to understand. So even if they have recovered craft bodies, you know, the, the whole shebang, what are they likely to be able to do with it? You know, and maybe that's what Semivan's talking about there, that they just can't understand it. They've got all this evidence of interactions. Some of them are terrifying. They've got material. They've perhaps even got bodies, but they've got no idea about it. That would be a pretty good reason for keeping it hush-hush. But, you know, Generally, even having you know said that, my thinking is that it's 
close to 100% certain at this point that the government know a lot more than the public do about this topic, even if they've not got like the answers to it or whatever. And there's, you know, a lot of high profile people, senior positions who have been behind that curtain of secrecy to a greater or a lesser extent. And, you know, they've, they've seen, you know, examples of a lot more knowledge being held by the government, by intelligence and agencies and things like that, that, that would at least, you know, suggest that the, the government know more than the public. And, and the main thing is at the moment is that these allegations of these top secret programs outside of congressional oversight structures, they're now actually, you know, being taken seriously by Congress. The location of these programs is actually being, you know, sought after by congress they're trying to find where these things are and so you know successful attempts by these insiders such as melon semivan as we've talked talked about a lot today luella zondo and plenty of others their efforts to bring this to congress's attention of you know they've bloody well worked haven't they <laughs> at the end of the day Absolutely. we're now in a position to actually finally get some progress to get to the bottom of what is really known and you know, who knows? We might actually find out over the next few years, eh? Any any closing thoughts then, Dave, before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just think uh, if we look at the two witnesses we've sort of looked at in detail today, the consistent thing we can take away from that is that the, the, there's good indications there was a legacy programmes from the war and there are a secret programme now. And I think uh, when we look at the hearings, we're likely, if we're looking whatever to hear about them, and those programs. What we're not likely to hear about from the testimony of the second witness is the extent of weirdness of what the phenomena is. I don't see that coming out because people don't know. I think that probably wouldn't get into that yet, and I think that might be some something else that they wouldn't get into. I'm not convinced myself. I think Jim might still be spinning on the advances we've made on the tech, but I think on the rest of the stuff, he was pretty straight. So, yeah, that's what I think, Frank. That's uh, that's that's. A, that's where I am with it. But it's really fascinating. I hope the listeners have enjoyed the contrast between the two testimonies and where they've actually met up at, at the end, really. And I think it does move, move us a bit further to understanding what we might be looking at to come in the coming months. Yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think why I enjoy doing these breakdowns of the quotes and things like that is because it's a large part of trying to understand this, isn't it? Of, you know, those people who've been behind that curtain of secrecy coming out and, and telling you know, researchers in the UFO community and, and the public about some things that they, that they think and separating that, um, you know, the speculation from the fact and trying to figure out where the line is, what's a breadcrumb and what's just purely speculation. It's actually quite an important aspect of understanding what's going on, isn't it? So um, I, I've, I've enjoyed going through it and hopefully um, the people who are listening have also uh, took something from it. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there then for now. So. Um, Thanks very much for uh, for joining me once again, Dave. Oh, thanks, Frank. It's been brilliant. Really enjoyed it, mate. It was a great, great to think about it all. Thank you very much. Spot on. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there for now then. Okay, so that is the end of the quotes. The mega episode, part one and part two, it ended up being because we really kind of went into some detail on some of those uh, particular quotes there. And I really enjoyed going through all of that. So hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as well. And um, I just want to say again, a really big thanks to James Iron Dolly engaging the phenomenon and 
um, Nathan, DJ, and all the rest of the Corwin Albeans crew for letting us use the quotes directly from their interviews, which was very, very kind of them. And it allowed us to actually play the audio so you can hear these people saying these quotes, you know, from directly from the source. And I think that's always really good to do wherever possible because you can hear the tone in the voice, you can hear how they're trying to put things across. And to me, it always makes a lot more sense, um, you know, what their intention may have been behind those statements when you can you can hear it in the full context. So anyway, hope you enjoyed listening to part one and part two there as much as we enjoyed actually putting that together and doing it. And um, as always, if you do want to support the show, um, it's always very much appreciated if you can leave a review of the podcast on whatever your chosen listening platform is. Uh, that really actually helps the show Uh, I'm only just about getting my head around all these algorithms and things like that but apparently the way it works is with these kind of algorithms that you have in in you know Spotify and Twitter and YouTube and all the rest of it the more people that like and share and leave comments and leave reviews um, the more likely it is for the podcast to be recommended to other people who the algorithm determines might be interested like they listen to other ufo podcasts and things like that so it's always great to get the word out to other people who might be interested in the show and leaving a review uh, in particular or leaving a like or a share or whatever it might be really does just help to get the word out about the show so that's always very much appreciated and it's costs absolutely nothing to do and takes a few seconds so if you've not already done so that would be a great way to support the show And if you want to take it a step further, I actually have a Patreon account as well. And let me just explain a bit about what Patreon is, because I remember years ago listening to podcasts. And as I say, I'm not the most well up on technology and things like that. So I just used to think, well, what is Patreon? What's he going on about? You know, when people mentioned it on their shows. So let me explain. So Patreon is basically a website where people who make content, whether it be podcasts, YouTube videos, music, you know, all kinds of things, um, basically can have an account where people who want to support can donate as little as a couple of pounds a month it goes out automated it's just a regular donation um, and in that way it, yeah, I'm able to get support from the people who choose to do so in that way uh, without having to use adverts because I'm I've mentioned this on the show before I'm really quite determined uh, to not have adverts on the show now i realize i'm a bit of an outlier in this regard because everybody has adverts on the shows and every single youtube video you click on is monetized and you get some kind of ridiculous shampoo advertisement or something like that before you watch the video of your choice but i'll be honest with you it drives me absolutely crazy you know you're just listening to a really interesting interview you're really in the zone and then suddenly an advert for something ridiculous pops up in the middle of it totally takes me out of the you know that that concentration zone of being deep in listening to somebody's conversation and then you get some advert popping up. so i just hate it and i would really like to create a space with my show where you don't have that that horrible disruption and interruption through adverts so as a result of that I have decided not to run any adverts on the show and when I do a YouTube channel uh, which is imminent as well for the people that have been asking I am planning to do that as soon as possible but again it's just time finding the time to do it and even on YouTube I'm going to have no ads so you click on my video nothing will pop up you'll get straight into the content but the only way that I'm able to do that is to receive support through Patreon instead so the Patreon support that we already receive allows us to run the show or allows me I say us as those 
there's a team behind this, but there's not. It's just me. <laughs> so me and obviously the regular contributors to the show as well. Um, but yeah, it allows me to have uh, support coming in without having to use adverts and obviously that's the way i've chosen to do it it is a little bit different to what most people do but you know uh, as, as somebody else uh, called frank once said i did it my way and uh, that's what i intend to carry on doing so in in that regard i really really appreciate the patreon uh, supporters because it really helps me to keep going down that path so please do consider uh, going on to patreon and having a look if you've not already and those who already do thank you very much it's very much appreciated and uh, the patreon link is patreon.com forward slash ufo thinker and you can have a read through see if it works for you and it, it works out as like the price of a cup of coffee as they say per month and if you enjoy the show and you feel like that's something you'd like to do the option is there for you to do so if not even the fact that you listen to the show means the world to me it really does it amazes me that people from all around the world listen to the show these days and um in the early days, it was literally just me, no listeners, and I still love doing it. So, you know, that here I am now, people actually listen to the show, and that just makes it all the better. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to leave it there for now because I, I don't want to ramble on too long. But if you've listened this far into the show, you are clearly a hardcore listener of the podcast. So thank you very much for sticking around till the end. It obviously means that if you're here at this point, you've obviously enjoyed listening to the show, and that, that means the world. You know, that's why we do this. I, I love talking about this topic and i love um, being able to share my thoughts with other people and as always if, if you've enjoyed it and you've got some thoughts to add drop me a message you know drop me an email as i say i love hearing from people who've who've got something from listening to the show and have enjoyed it or even if you disagree with a point you know let me know it's always healthy to to have disagreements nobody wants to live in an echo chamber as they say and uh, you can get in touch on twitter it's at ufo thinker you can also send me an email ufo thinker at protonmail.com ufo thinker at hotmail.com and um dave as well at dsmether66 and um uh, until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. You are Podcast. Podcast.